Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for July 30th, 2018. On today's episode, we'll discuss what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me today are Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writers Y Tren Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Let's start off with what we've been doing uh, over this past week, Brad uh, after Comic-Con, has been over at Slash Home headquarters, and I've been hanging out with him. Uh, we'll talk about a bunch about that uh, on this podcast. Uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about, though, was we went to an art gallery uh, at I Am 8-Bit um, in L.A. We saw this show called Some Assembly Required, which is basically a show of custom-created action figures from movies and video games, figures that were never actually released. Uh, Brad, why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, this. Um, so sometimes when I hang out in Los Angeles after Comic-Con, there's some cool things that are happening that I get to check out that I otherwise normally wouldn't since I don't actually live in Los Angeles. Uh, so it was nice to be able to check this out. This was uh, an uh, exhibition put on by artist Dan O'Brown. And like Peter said, he created action figures for movies that don't really have action figures. And he did them in the style of uh, the reaction figures that Funko makes, the the very simple throwback kind of action figures that uh, don't really have much articulation and usually come with like one or two little accessories. And he did an assembly of uh, figures that were based on uh, movies and video games. I think there might have been a little bit of TV in there, but I don't recall. But uh, it, it was a, a smaller show. He, um, But considering the fact that he made these figures by using parts of other action figures and sculpting and painting them himself. Uh, it's pretty impressive that he made 40 individual unique action figures. Uh, so like they varied from uh, Leon from the professional uh, to Lucas from the wizard. They had a version of Jean-Claude Van Damme from Bloodsport, where in the package, he's actually doing his signature splits. Uh, they had Teen Wolf. They had um, Steve Martin from the jerk. They had two dumb and dumber figures featuring Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels in their blue and orange tuxedos. Uh, one of the figures that I wanted 
um, was a small one, which was a Folgers coffee can representing the cremated Donnie from the Big Lebowski. Uh, as soon as we got down to it at the far end of the gallery, it had just been sold and a little red dot was put on it indicating as such. And so I was not able to purchase it, which was very disappointing to me. <laughs> One of my favorite figures was uh, the guy from Blair Witch Project, which just had his figure like facing the wall. Yeah. Um, and the, and the, and the and figure the was the actual wall from the that shot in the movie where he's stuck in the corner. <laughs> yeah. It, um, it, it was great stuff. All these handcrafted, uh, created with uh you know a combination of different like you know gi joe action figures and stuff like a frankenstein and then like you know puttied up and painted custom painted so uh as you can expect they were very expensive i think they ran what like 80 to 300 yeah most of them were 200 there were a couple of ones that were bigger and a little more involved that were 300 and then like the smaller ones like the uh, the Big Lebowski one I mentioned were around eighty, but yeah, most most of them were two hundred dollars. So pricey, but they're also you know one of one. So this it's a extremely unique and collectible item. Yeah, um, and the show is on display now at I am Eight Bit Gallery, and I think we're gonna, we're going to have a post uh, rounding up some of our favorite figures from that show tomorrow on the site, uh, so you can check it out there and, and find a link to I am Eight Bit from there. Uh, Brad, you've been in LA. What have you been doing? Uh, yeah, I mean, hang, I always love coming to LA and hanging out with you. So it was just enjoyable to be there and hang out with your dogs, Pixel and Gizmo, even though Gizmo every single day seemed to forget who I was and just wanted to to bark at me all the time. (laughs) He's like, oh my God, there's a new stranger in the house every day. Yeah. Uh, and then when I actually left the house, he came to the door. He's like, wait a minute, you're leaving? (laughs) I figured out who you were. Um, so so, yeah, it's just nice to relax. Um, uh, this kind of this kind of goes into the, the the what we've been watching segment, but uh, Peter, I will, I'll say this simply because I did it while I was at Peter's house. Peter finally got me to sit down and watch uh, half of the first season of Cobra Kai, um, and I will say that it's very very fun. It's definitely a little bit cheesier than I was expecting, and I'm not like over the moon for it like some people are, but it, it's a very enjoyable series, and the way it evolves, uh, Danny and Johnny. Uh, as characters is, is very interesting, especially how it incorporates their kids into their their lives and their uh, rivalry, as, even as they're they're older now. It's um it's it's definitely a fun show, and I, I think it's worth watching. I think the thing I love most about that show is it's like a secret way to get people to watch like a Mean Girls like TV show. Like it's it's really I mean it is about them, but half the show is kind of like this high school drama that I think uh, people either aren't expecting but are gonna love. Um, I, I know uh, you weren't sold on it initially, kind of like me. The first two episodes uh, aren't a strong punch in in, in, in my mind. Uh, but I know the last episode you looked at me and you're like, okay, this is good. Yeah, the I think uh, – I don't remember if it was the fifth or the sixth episode. But right, right around the middle of the first season is uh, – like the show really I think gets more confident and finds its footing and, and really uh... – Feel, feels like uh, it, it's uh, a solid, you know, continuation of the Karate Kid story. Yeah. Um, over this weekend, I went to a thing called 49 Boxes. It was the, uh, this event has been held in San Francisco, L.A., Las Vegas. And it, it's very hard to talk about. It's very hard to explain. Uh, on the website, it says 49 Boxes is a social story-driven experience where audiences interact with incredible artifacts to solve mysteries 
and have uh, that have been kept secret for more than half a century. Uh, this isn't an experience that happens around you. It happens because of you. Um, it's kind of like a, I guess, kind of like a escape room. But instead of it being a group of you and four or five of your friends, it's a group of you and maybe another friend and dozens and dozens of other people in a room. Uh, the room that we experienced this in was a uh, mausoleum. Uh, in, in, in in huge heat, by the way, the heat was just uh, intense. Um, and um, it basically, the the premise of this is uh, this does have a magic tie-in, which is uh, what got my interest. It, it is uh, this old manufacturer of handcrafted uh, magic apparatus and illusions and stuff like that from like the early nineteenth century. Uh, basically, when he died, he left this mystery uh, for his um, for his loved ones. It was these forty nine boxes that all uh, th- there. When you arrive at this location, all these boxes are laid out on tables. You find uh, a table to sit at a ran- randomly, and uh, you just start opening the boxes and opening. Like there's letters in there. Expl- you know, there's a story going along with it, and you have to put together things. There's puzzles. And uh, there's a box in the middle that has uh, at least a dozen locks on it. And the goal is to unlock that box and find out what is inside there. Uh, there's some magic-y kind of cool things. I, I can't really explain what we did because I feel like that uh, would ruin uh, the puzzles and the experience. But I will say that uh, we lit a fire, <laughs> like an actual fire in this mausoleum. And uh, what we saw happen... Um, was so magical on a uh, science level, I'd say, uh, not like a magic, magic level. Um, and it was just so cool. And it was interesting to like just be thrown in it into the, this kind of situation with so many people that you don't know. And you're trying to, you know, all together uh, come together and, and solve this 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 problem. Uh, it, th- I'm not sure if it's I don't think it's said on the website. But this is the brainchild of two guys that uh, run this company, Forty Two Entertainment, which uh, you might recognize. They are they basically were responsible for some of the biggest ARG campaigns in the movie world. So if you remember the Dark Knight, that whole like scavenger hunt, like all those things around the Dark Knight or Tron Legacy, they were responsible for that. And this is like their side project. Uh, and I'm not sure what they're wh- where they're going with this. This seems almost like they're dipping their toes in the water to. Uh, see if people are interested, and they are because uh, uh, you know the press they've gotten for this is insane. Uh, you know, people have basically called it life changing. Uh, I, I I would not call it life changing, but it is a fun experience. I would I would highly recommend it. I'm not sure they have any upcoming shows planned, but you can go to 49boxes.com and add your name to the email list, and they will send you information if. If and when they do future uh, versions of this 49 Boxes event, uh, I highly recommend it. Jacob, what have you been up to? Uh, Nothing as exciting as that, Peter. Uh, My nephew turned two years old over the weekend, so I drove to San Antonio, where my family lives, to spend some time with them and celebrate that birthday. And I quickly learned that two-year-old's birthday parties are completely pointless because the two-year-old is not aware it's his birthday and is not aware he's getting presents for a special reason. It's more about the parents. Yeah, it's really just an excuse for everybody to um, see each other and hang out and have conversations and catch up. And 
Um, Actually, I hate to interrupt you here, but it's almost yeah. to me like when you bring toddlers to Disneyland. I go to Disneyland a lot, and I see like toddlers in these, you know, strollers, and it's like these toddlers are not—they're not, not going to remember any of this. It's—it's it's yeah. all just for the adults. Yeah, hundred percent. I, as, as someone who's had the same conversation with my mom many times, because she used to take us to uh, Disney World every every three to four years, like clockwork. <laughs> but she waited until we were all tall enough to ride all the rides, because otherwise, what was the point? Was <laughs> <What's> her words? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we celebrated that. I saw my family uh, and my, my mom. She's retired. She's a uh, single mom, Air Force veteran, women's health uh, nurse practitioner. So she worked hard all of her life and is now enjoying her retirement by transforming her backyard into a destination for her grandchildren, of which she now has three. None of which from me, by the way. Uh, and I learned I, once again, learned that, that children terrify me this weekend. Uh, but. She uh, had a pool installed uh, with a bar, with a fridge, uh, a playground for the kids, a fire pit, uh, fenced off in different areas, a long run for the dogs. It just she's she's pretty much spending all of her time and money out in her backyard, so she tried to make it as like relaxing as possible. And we ended uh, the birthday party after the babies went to sleep uh, by watching Jaws in the pool because she had a TV installed uh, with a special weatherproof cover on it uh, by the pool, and. I've seen Jaws so many times that I just thought, oh, I'm just going to sit here with my, with a book and read this book. Uh, everybody else watches Jaws in the pool. And because Jaws is Jaws, I was just sucked into it immediately and just ended up watching Jaws for the hundredth time. Uh, even my sister, who's not a movie fan in any way whatsoever, she hates Star Wars. To give you an idea of the kind of person she is comes to movies. She was like sucked into Jaws as well and admitted afterward how much she, she enjoyed it. So even when you're watching Jaws in a backyard in a pool with first timers who've never seen it, that movie holds up. That's that's a really great movie. In this case, in this case, you guys haven't heard that before. Jaws, great movie. New news for everybody. Whoa, pro tip. Uh, let's, let's move on <laughs> to HT. HT, what have you been up to? So I um, was a little late on the coloring my hair for the summer train, and I just colored my hair purple. Uh, and not in kind of in, not really inspired by Laura Dern and Star Wars, but uh, sort of along the same lines. I've been wanting to dye my hair this color for a while. So I was happy to see that Laura Dern had already done that for The Last Jedi. Um, so, yeah, I just dyed that did that on Friday and I'm liking it a lot. And then uh, the next day, Saturday, I went to a Kesha concert and um, the hair color is unrelated to the Kesha concert, but it actually fit in really well because there are a lot of people wearing wigs and uh, glitter everywhere. But it was a fun time. I went there with a couple of my cousins and um, they'd gotten a deal on tickets. I wouldn't say I'm a huge Kesha fan, but it was fun to just go to this sort of outdoor concert and uh, sit in the lawn and, and eat, like have a picnic and everything while while people were dancing around us. So that was my that was my weekend. It was a pretty fun time. Very cool. Uh, let's move on to what we've been reading. Jacob, you're always reading uh, various things. Uh, every week you hit, you have a book in your hand. Uh, what have you been reading this week? Well, in terms of books, I finished the Jack Reacher book I was talking about last week, without fail, and spoiler alert, Jack Reacher kills the bad guys. Uh, so nothing new on the book front, but I've been reading a reading <laughs> spoilers, bunch of articles. Spoilers, Jacob. Spoilers. <laughs> Uh, I want to recommend two articles that we can link in the show notes, uh, one of which is published on The Daily Beast, and it was written by uh, Jeff Mache, and it was just published uh, two days ago, and its headline, the title of it is, How an Ex-Cop Rigged McDonald's Monopoly Game and Stole Millions, and this is a story of how the guy in charge of security for McDonald's' um, Monopoly game, which you may remember is like you peel off stickers from cups and, and food and try to collect all the properties like you would at Monopoly and win 
cars and tons of money. Jacob, every year I would be filling out that Monopoly board that they would give you. I'd be taking. I'd I'd win like a fry or drink. I would never win crap. Like because because the guy in charge of security was stealing all the winning pieces. Peter, he was stealing all of them, giving them to third parties who would then sell them to somebody else. Like here's a million dollar piece. Uh, but you give me $100,000, and then it would, the money would get kicked back up to this main security guy. And he did this for like 15 years, Peter. Uh, he started this entire crime ring built around a rigging McDonald's contest, and he made millions of dollars. And the story is amazing. It's like a 45-minute long uh, read. And the amazing kicker, and uh, this isn't, isn't a spoiler, is that the reason we don't remember this is because it went to trial on, on September 10th, 2011. I'm sorry, 2001. Uh... September 10th, 2001. So... All the, what, what should have been like a big crazy story was immediately, you know, lost in you know tragedy. So I recommend reading this if you, if you want to know why you spent the entire '90s not winning money from McDonald's. Uh, the other article that's another long read and really worth it. I think Brad shared this online as well. It was published over on Wired, and the title the headline is "A Deadly Hunt for Hidden Treasure Spawns an Online Mystery" by David Kushner, and this is pretty much. Um, into the Wild meets Ready Player One, if you want to make a movie pitch, about this uh, art-dealing millionaire who has a brush with cancer and survives and decides life is too short, buries a fortune in jewels in a treasure chest in the Rocky Mountains, and posts a lengthy poem uh, with, full of clues on how to find it. And the article tracks the subculture that builds up around this poem, around the search, around all these um, seasoned wilderness explorers who head out to try to find this hidden treasure. And the uh, non-seasoned people who die trying to find it as well. And it's just this fascinating story. It becomes sort of a true crime story when one father starts to investigate why his son died while searching for the treasure. And it's a really good read. Uh, if both of these would make great movies. And they both read uh, really, both read like really compelling crime tales, if that's your thing. Very cool. Yeah, you'll have to link, add the links in the show notes because I, I want to check out both of these. Um, let's, let's move on to what we've been watching uh, this past week, I or on Friday, I went to downtown Los Angeles to the Regal uh, Cinema to watch the first screening of The Meg, which is the uh, the big uh, killer shark movie starring Jason Statham. And, um, you know, th- we ran an early buzz article on the site. My my tweet was not in there because I did not tweet. Uh, I. I I don't know. I thought it was okay. It was it was uh, fun. Uh, it's I, I don't. Uh, it's better than skyscraper, uh, a similar movie that I think uh, I expected to be the better version. Uh, you know, the better one of these two summer movies. Um, it uh, in the screening that we saw it at, which was the junket screening. Uh, they had they, this is the first time I've actually experienced this, where they actually had cameras in the audience. Um, in front of the screen and all throughout the audience, uh, night vision cameras to capture audience reactions that they will probably use in the trailers and marketing. Uh, because one thing I didn't expect of this movie is it's filled with fun jump scares. And that's probably the best thing I can say about this movie. So uh, if you like movies that have jump scares, uh, you know, go see this. It The script is maybe the dumbest thing ever written. Um, it seems like every single time they opt for cool or fun over logic, <laughs> but, uh, but if you can forgive that, um, you know, go, go use your, uh, movie pass if that's still in business or your AMC A list 
to go to go see uh, th- this movie. And uh, yeah, uh, I interviewed director John Turtletub uh, about it. That interview will run either this week or next sometime on the site. And maybe we'll put the audio up on the podcast feed as well. Uh, he is a great interview. And um, yeah, so look for that. But let's move on to uh, Jacob. Uh, in addition to Jaws, what else have you been watching? Uh, I saw Mission Impossible Fallout, but we're going to get to that in a second because HD saw it as well. It's great. Spoiler alert. Uh, but in terms of other things, I watched House, uh, not the 1977 Japanese movie, uh, Houseu, which is really bonkers and great, and not the Fox TV series, but the 1985 uh, Steve Miner horror movie. Uh, horror comedy, I guess, is the right term here, even though I never found it funny. <laughs> it's, But it's... It is definitely crazy. It is not, I, I didn't find it good, but I was in awe of it the entire time. It's streaming on Shudder. Uh, and it's the story of a man who's on to commit suicide, who so moves into a haunted house to finish his next book. And the house manifests all kinds of monsters and demons and ghosts to torment him. And it features extensive flashbacks to his time in the Vietnam War. It features slapstick comedy, it features jump scares. It features a uh, George Went from Cheers in a supporting role. And it stars uh, William Cat from Grace American Hero as the lead character. And it is, um, I, I want to hear, if, I, don't, I don't know if Chris, our resident horror movie uh, guru, has seen House. And if he has an opinion on this, because I don't know what to think of it. It feels like it's ahead of its time, and that it's like Evil Dead 2, two years before it even came out. But it's also not as funny or as confident or as good. It's just this fever dream of craziness. Chris, have you seen this? I have, and I've also seen House 2, the second story. Um, uh, yeah, uh, these aren't what I would call good movies, but they have some fun, like, practical effects in them. Like, you know, just the, the creatures in the film, like the monsters, the ghosts, or whatever you want to call them, look really cool and disgusting. So that makes these films worth watching. But I would not call these good movies by uh, any any stretch. <laughs> Yeah, it, but it, it's streaming, and my wife and I watched it just thinking, what is this? Why Why was this movie made? It feels like it was just cobbled together in a fever dream. Uh, but it, it's if you like the kind of thing, it's no demon wind. But it, in terms of crazy movies, it is definitely worth watching. Uh, but in terms of bad horror movies, we followed up with the first half hour of Day of the Dead Bloodline, the latest movie to use the Day of the Dead name for a direct-to-video um, piece of crap that has nothing to do with it. And that's streaming on Netflix, and you should avoid it at all costs. It is a... Terrible, terrible thing, and it made me very sad and depressed, so we turned it off. And uh, you mentioned that you saw Mission Impossible Fallout, so did HT. Uh, HT, were you blown away? I was blown away. I had a really late screening of Mission Impossible Fallout because I went to see it on opening night. I went to see it at 10 p.m., and I came out at 1 a.m. about two and a half hours later just feeling alive. The adrenaline was rushing through me. This movie is just spectacle, heaped upon spectacle. And like everyone was saying before, it's just relentless action and entertainment. And I really like that this film, uh, after the first after the last one, Rogue Nation kind of made moves to establish Ethan Hunt as this godly manifestation of destiny, as Alec Baldwin says so aptly. They kind of try to humanize him more in Fallout, and it's a really interesting sort of turn for that to see kind of uh, we've been seeing like Tom Cruise be like weary and just kind of catching his breath a lot for the past few movies, but here he just looks really tired. He looks just like a rag doll in a lot of these shots where he's just being tossed around and he's just he, he keeps getting back up because it's his job but you can tell he's just kind of like 
um, over just just uh, it's kind of losing his step a little bit. And I thought that was a really interesting thing, especially with Mission Impossible Fallout, just upping the stakes uh, momentously uh, with um, and all, all of the callbacks too, to the last few Mission Impossible movies, including a really fun callback to Mission Impossible 2 with the rock climbing uh, was really fun. And um, I just, I enjoyed it so much. It probably is not my favorite Mission Impossible movie. I probably, I will say that Ghost Protocol is still my favorite for now, which I know that Jacob is <laughs> offended by, but uh, <laughs> I really love Fallout and I definitely, I can't wait to see it again once Movie Pass uh, lifts up their block on it. I just want to add one thing that each HD said there because she reflected my thoughts entirely, which is that the reason these movies work is not that Tom Cruise does these amazing stunts, but that he seems really surprised at all times to be surviving them. He does. He doesn't make it look easy. He makes it look like the work that they are. Like there's an extended sequence involving Ethan Hunt in control of a helicopter. He's not quite sure how to control. And, and even though Tom Cruise, the actor, is in total control of his aircraft, Ethan Hunt is not. So the performance is watching this extremely skilled actor act like he's losing control and struggle with it, and that makes it so exciting. One of the things I really like that uh, Mission Impossible Fallout does is uh, director and screenwriter Chris McQuarrie uh, is cleverly gives Ethan Hunt uh, a weakness of, you know, his own kryptonite, which is, you know, that he cares about these innocent bystanders. And uh, I think that that is... uh, an interesting way to take this uh, take this character and uh also uh the more i've been thinking about this movie um the more if i wonder like it, do you think that this movie is an extension of the christopher nolan uh influence on hollywood because we're getting like these um I'm not saying we're getting a lot of these, but we are getting these blockbusters that feel elevated in a way that they feel uh so uh, well put together, so um, just uh, fantastically uh, created and uh, in you know not just like a dumb fun action movie. They're elevated, but at the core, the story uh, and the logic of it does not really hold up. If you like think about it, like do do you, do you think this is the next evolution of of the uh, Chris Nolan uh, influence on Hollywood? I want to hear from Chris here because you wrote the spoiler review for Impossible uh, for Mission Impossible Fallout. And I think you've also written a a lot about Christopher Nolan. What do you think about that? I've seen people making that comparison. Um, uh, I don't know. I I mean, there's definitely Dark Knight elements in this. I mean, I guess this is a spoiler, but like the bad guy like the bad guy literally sets himself up to get captured because it's all part of his plan and Really, when you start dissecting that plan, it doesn't really make any sense because I don't know how he was able to do this because yeah. he's been in like custody all these years. But uh, I mean, it's it's weird because I I personally thought we were getting out of that that era where everyone was borrowing from the Dark Knight. Like after the Dark Knight came out, everyone was jumping on that storytelling yeah. method. Even like like Skyfall, I think, is the most egregious example where like beat for beat, that movie is pretty much the dark Knight, but with James Bond, but I don't know. I've seen a lot of people saying that this is like the darkest entry in the franchise, which I don't really think at all. I think part three is much, much darker. Part three is a really nasty movie compared to this, but Uh, yeah, I don't think it is. It's capturing the grittiness, but I, I think there definitely is this kind of like, uh, 
um, yin-yang of this elevated blockbuster, but in the bottom, the core of it is this kind of like a story that like the motivations just don't hold up the more you think about it. But in in the end, both of these movies are great. It's not like it it bothers me. Uh, So it's not uh, not really that big of a criticism i i think i think everybody that goes and sees mission impossible fallout is going to enjoy it um but let's move on to uh ht you you also saw mamma mia here we go again yes speaking of movies that don't hold up but that i enjoy thoroughly (laughs) mamma mia here we go again is a fantastic experience and just an all-around entertaining like time at the movies so uh i I remember watching uh, the first Mamma Mia and not really enjoying it because I had just come off of seeing the stage version where it had been formed on tour at the Kennedy Center and I'd seen it there and had such a great time because it's a very interactive play and a very and one that very much leans into its jukebox musical jukebox musical roots and lets you just kind of sing along and dance to ABBA, uh, which I also have sort of a long connection with because my mom used to have an ABBA greatest hits CD that she would play in her car for a full year so every uh, for a long time we were just listening to ABBA on repeat so I was very familiar with all the songs and enjoyed the musical thoroughly and the movie not as much but um, I felt like the first movie was you know sort of amateurishly directed and kind of going through the motions and not quite as cinematic as it could have been but Mamiya here we go again improves on all of that it's much more cinematic it's really fun to to look at and I think it's also much more interactive in a way that the first Mamiya isn't um I just like I was there with a, a few of my cousins we went to see it together and we were just like singing and dancing the entire time um the plot doesn't make sense but I will say I will say I thought this was hilarious. It has the exact same plot as Godfather 2. <laughs> so I can, H-C, I, I can I need say you. that Mamiya 2 is the Godfather 2 of musicals. HT, we need you to write an article that has that for a headline. <laughs> I, 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 need, I need to read an explanation. And I don't, I don't think people here want to be spoiled. Uh, yes, I, was, I won't go I beat was... by beat. But just a, just a, a little hint to that. It has the exact same plot and exact same structure. Uh, just to piggyback off that, one of the things that I watched this week uh, for the first time was the the first Mamma Mia movie, uh, and I just gotta say it was abysmal. Uh, <laughs> I I like movie musicals. Uh, you know, I, I like Chicago. Uh, I like Once. I like Moulin Rouge. Um, I even like Rock of Ages for the most part. Um, so there, there's plenty of movie musicals that I I, I really like. This was just dreadful. Like I felt like this could be used as psychological warfare. Everybody <laughs> in it, everybody in it is so bad, both singing and acting. And it's part of it feels like an acid fever dream. And it's just, ugh, I, I, I seriously was so mad. And so like I've heard that the second one, like you said, infinitely improves upon the first one, and is a lot more fun. So I, I kind of watched the first one because I, I feel like I want to go see the second one. Um, and now I'm even more curious to see if how they can improve upon it because I just I, I hated it so much. Yes, it's definitely <laughs> much better. And it's a lot of it is thanks to Lily James, who is just luminous in this film as the young um, Meryl Streep's character. And the fact that Pierce Brosnan doesn't sing like he sings like one line, but he barely sings at all, which is great. I, I, do, I do think that Brad's an instant 
hardcore version of Mamma Mia maybe due to him being uh, a straight man. And that's not a bad <laughs> thing. I'm just saying, saying it's, it's it's a movie that's like it's like acid in the ears of straight men. I think anybody who's who's not that may have a more instant liking to it. But I, I understand what Brad, what Brad is saying. There are so many musicals that I like, though. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a musical made specifically for non-straight men. <laughs> Actually, there's, there's a really great story about this um, this movie that when on its premiere night, uh, my friend saw a bunch of people dress up for this movie and they were all like middle-aged women dressed in like bell bottoms and sequins and glitter. <laughs> and that's just like the perfect picture of who this audience is. Um, okay, <laughs> let's move on to Ben who uh, did something spectacular this weekend. Uh, ben, tell us about it. Yeah, I actually got a chance to see Die Hard at Nakatomi Plaza. So this is one of the coolest press events I've ever been a part of. Um, On Saturday night, uh, Fox hosted a screening of Die Hard in celebration of the 30th anniversary. We've been talking a lot about that on the site. Uh, We have a a bunch of articles and coverage. Maybe we can link to those in the show notes. But um, uh, Die Hard has been on my mind for a a few weeks now because I've done a a ton of research on the movie and spoke with a lot of different directors about uh, the way that it influenced influence their filmmaking. And um, I had got this invite to go see the film on the Fox lot with the Fox Plaza building, which is what they used to uh, to sort of stand in for Nakatomi Tower in the movie, uh, with that building sort of um, looming over this big screen that they erected. And so we watched the movie on top of a parking garage that was on the Fox lot on this big blow up um, movie theater screen, I guess. And I, I cut together a video so you guys can see, and I, I wrote a big article about this, so you can uh, check out uh, this video. And they had like a 1980s cop car there, and they had a, a limo and a guy dressed up like Argyle, the limo driver in the movie, and he was was holding a Jay McClain sign and taking pictures with people with a big stuffed teddy bear. Uh, they had a food truck there. I mean, it was like a huge thing. Um, Reginald Bell Johnson, who played Al Powell, was there, uh, and Bonnie Bedelia, who played Holly Gennaro, Holly McLean, uh, was also there to introduce the movie. Uh, they were pretty low energy, but it was still, you know, cool to see them anyway. It was just kind of clear that they were like the only ones who were available to to drop by and say <laughs> hi to the fans. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was a really cool experience. I mean, just being able to sit there and watch this iconic movie with this iconic location that's like personally my favorite building in all of Los Angeles. Um, it was like a dream come true. And then, you know, on top of all that. So that was Saturday night. But earlier in the day on Saturday, a handful of journalists were invited to go take a tour of the Fox Plaza building. So we actually got to go inside and basically get a guided tour of like a ton of the filming locations that they used inside the building because the the skyscraper itself was unfinished at the time of production. So it allowed them to shoot all over the building and and make it seem like it's a, you know, it was a real building in the, in the movie. So we got to go check out a ton of different uh, spots. I took a ton of pictures. They didn't let us take video during this section, but I have a a bunch of photos um, and like side-by-side comparisons and stuff with uh, what it looks like now versus what it looked like then. And a lot of it has not changed at all. There's like even down to like the rivets and the elevators that form this crisscross X pattern 
are the, exactly the same now as they were in 1988. Uh, they really went all out during this tour, too. There were, like, shards of plastic that were meant to be broken glass and, like, fake bloody footprints on the on the floor and in the bathroom at certain points. Um, and they took us down into the loading dock area, and they had props from the movie on display, and they had this photo op where you were able to go into a vent with a lighter and take a picture like you're trapped in a vent like John McClane. Um so, yeah, I would just highly encourage any diehard fans out there to check out this article that I wrote because there's a ton of photos. They, they let us go on the roof of the building, for God's sake. I was I was very surprised that they took us up there because it seems kind of dangerous, but uh, it was amazing. I loved it. And, and, you know, being a huge diehard fan, it was a, a dream come true. I am so jealous. I uh, I was busy doing an interview downtown while this was happening. The, the closest I've gotten to this is I saw... I think the premiere of the last Die Hard movie, the horrible one, was that Live Free or Die Hard? Yes. Um, on the or Fox, wait, no, uh, A Good Day to Die oh, Hard. Oh, Good Day to Die Hard. I saw that on the Fox lot. Uh, they unveiled like this mural of uh, Bruce climbing through the, the vents on the side of the soundstage. And then the party was in uh, one of the high floors on... Uh, the the Fox Plaza building, the Nakatomi uh, building, uh, and th- that was cool at the time. But uh, this sounds like it was next level cool, and uh, I-, I am so bummed to have missed this. But people can can live this vicariously through you, your videos and photos and and words on slashfilm.com. So check that out, uh, Brad. In addition to Mamma Mia and Cobra Kai. What have you been watching? On my way back from Los Angeles, uh, on my American Airlines flight, uh, I had access to a bunch of movies on the entertainment system in my the seat in front of me. So I watched uh, Love, Simon, which I hadn't didn't see when it was in theaters and seemed like it would be a good movie to watch on the plane. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. It's, uh, it's super charming. Uh, it's really nice to see just a normal romantic comedy focusing – uh, on a kid who happens to be gay in high school and like comes out to his friends and family and uh, you know it's it's not made to be this innovative groundbreaking movie uh, it's very much a typical romantic comedy focusing on you know Nick Robinson as a you know this teen kid who happens to be uh, gay and ha- you know has, um, has this ongoing like anonymous pen pal uh, situation with another kid who has anonymously uh, come out on this like uh, basically gossip website that the school uses. Um, and so it was, yeah, I just, I just really uh, en- enjoyed the hell out of it. It's um, definitely a little cheesy, a little cliche, but I think that's what, what makes it that much more uh, endearing, you know, this specifically because, you know, it's just not the typical boy meets girl kind of romance. And it was, uh, yeah, I, I just liked it a lot. And you also watched an eighties cult classic, right? I did. So uh, my friend Ben recently had his, his birthday and for his party, he decided to have a bunch of us over uh, to like have some barbecue, just hang out and have drinks. And then we uh, he set up a projector and screen in the backyard and wanted to watch Gleaming the Cube, uh, which I had never seen before. He likes it for being one of those, you know, uh, typical 80s movies that tried to combine, you know, the, the popularity of extreme sports with danger and intrigue. Uh, and this one stars Christian Slater. And it's exactly what I expected it to be. Um, so, so silly in its incorporation of, you know, this sort of punk lifestyle and skateboarding and BMX kind of thing. Tony Hawk is even in it and he has like one of the worst haircuts ever. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it was so fun to watch whenever we watch movies like this, 
uh, we, cause we've done this a couple times before with, with Rad and uh, I forget what else. But it kind of turns into a little bit of a Mystery Science Theater 3000 scenario where we're all kind of cracking jokes and just having a good time because the movie is just that silly. Uh, so, so yeah, it was definitely a fun experience watching that movie for the first time. Uh, has Paul Shear done uh, done this movie and how did this get made? Podcast? I don't I don't think so because it's one of those movies like Rad where it's uh, difficult to get on home video because I don't think it had an official DVD release. Well, he should definitely at some point get to this because that that movie was yes was insane. Um, Chris, you watched uh, the Prestige on Hulu. Yeah, have you ever heard? Have you never heard of Hulu, Peter? The way you said it at the end there, was I, like, oh no, it's like, like, like I, I feel like a Christopher Nolan movie requires like you know 4K Blu-ray or something. And like, no, Peter, Hulu is how Christopher Nolan intended it to be seen yeah. on your phone. <laughs> I also find it strange that in, in the show notes you wrote that you saw it on Hulu. Like there was like some point to the fact that you watched it on Hulu. <laughs> Well, my, I, I'm trying to help anyone out who wants to see it. Okay. So I, I, I haven't seen uh, The Prestige in a long time. And uh, this is my favorite time of the year because it's Orange is the New Black Weekend. And when that happens, my wife watches the show and I do not because I don't care for the show. So when that happens, my wife goes off on her own, watches. She basically binges the whole se- season and I get to watch whatever the hell I want. Uh, so uh, I was just flipping through Hulu looking for something random to watch. And I saw this was now streaming on there and I haven't seen it in a long time. So I said, what the hell? And you know, this, you know, this isn't groundbreaking or anything like that, but that movie holds up. And I really think that is Christopher Nolan's best movie. I mean, I, I like practically all of his films, but I think that's probably his most, compelling his most interesting film as everyone in it is is just really good and uh i don't know you know again i know this isn't like <laughs> groundbreaking news here but like i said i haven't i haven't seen this probably in like five or six years so re-watching it again i was just really impressed at how well it still holds up and it, i just want to pipe in really quickly and say that you're absolutely right this movie owns and it is 100 <laughs> percent christopher nolan's best movie uh me, I don't know. Dark Knight, I really like, but um, I will say that this movie is the movie I think that holds up the most with rewatchability. Um, you actually gain more, I think, from rewatching this, even over like something like Memento, where you'd think you'd gain more with rewatchability, and you actually don't. Um, I uh, I love the Prestige. I have two posters on my uh, office wall. Uh, well, actually, one thing that wasn't in the show notes that I wanted to bring up to you guys, I wanted to bring up um. I'm trying to get rid of things. Like I, I, I talked, I think last week about uh, OfferUp, this app that allows you to like, you know, get rid of things. I'm trying to get rid of some board games and stuff. And in my kitchen, I have a small kitchen in our in our condo unit, and uh, one of the drawers is dedicated to my Blu-ray collection. I got rid of all my DVDs. I have my Blu-rays. They're in sleeves, like a little. Uh, yeah, sleeves with the covers and stuff. And I I, th- I probably have like 100, 200 Blu-rays. I don't know. I've never really counted. I'm guessing like somewhere between 100 and 200 Blu-rays. But I never watch them. You know, I never go over and grab a disc and go to the, you know, my PlayStation and put it in and watch it. Like I'm always, you know, on a streaming service or on iTunes or, or whatnot. Uh, r- recently, I think in the last six months, uh, we talked about it on the podcast uh, basically, this app was created called Movies Anywhere, 
which connects most of the movies from most of the big movie studios so that um, if you bought something on Amazon, it's in your iTunes. If you bought something on Vudu, it's in your Amazon. You know, it's all connected. And uh, this has been getting me to think about Vudu offers this system where on their website and on your Vudu account, you can scan your DVD or Blu-ray and for $2 basically unlock the digital version of that movie in Vudu. And because it's in Vudu, it gets unlocked in iTunes and all these you know other devices as well. Uh, so uh, I've been thinking about doing that to my, my disc collection to just get everything all digital and get rid of the discs. But then it occurred to me that, you know, that's going to cost me uh, $300, $400 to, to uh, digitize all these discs. Is it even worth $2 a movie for me to do this? Right? So I wanted to ask you guys, like, is it worth it? Like, I, I just most of the time I go to streaming platforms anyways. Like, I don't go to my my movie library, even my digital movie library. I don't go searching for a movie to watch. Uh, do you guys have any advice? You should definitely do this because eventually the streaming services will be so splintered and the rights will be so scattered that you have to pay for every service to find what you want to watch. And having your backlog of favorite movies is going to be very important in the years ahead. That's but, my two cents. But Jacob, I'm going to be paying for all those services. <laughs> well, in 10 years when there's 40 services, Peter, you'll be paying for all of them. You'll be paying for maybe 10 of them. Chris, you're, you're, you're the streaming guy. Like, am I nuts for even considering not paying the $2 to digitize all my movies before I get rid of them? I don't know, because, you know, even though, you know, I, I cover a lot of streaming stuff for the site, I'm also a very big physical media guy. So I have uh, thousands of Blu-rays and DVDs. And, you know, while every once in a while I'll get rid of some of them, I can't imagine, like, getting rid of all of them. That That's, like, blasphemy to me. Because, you know, a lot of stuff hasn't been digitized yet. A lot of, there's a lot of movies you know, I, I know in this day and age, it seems like everything is streaming, but there are a countless number of films that have yet to be transferred over to any streaming service. And, you know, just the thought of not having access to that gives me uh, the cold sweats. So I would well, I would well, I wouldn't up. get rid of anything that isn't available, like uh, like Almost Famous, the uh, the director's cut, the I guess it's called Untitled. I don't think it's available on iTunes, so I wouldn't get rid of that disc. But uh, I don't know. It strikes me as the way that Jacob uses his physical library, Peter. I think you should keep those discs and just, you know, put them in a drawer or something. So on the off chance that you need it for a reference point or something like that, you can just pull it down and you'll have it. I mean, even if you don't watch it regularly and work it into your rotation, I feel like there's, uh, you know, it, it would probably feel good to just know that, you know, even if the cloud exploded, <laughs> you would still have the the physical version right there. See, I think the problem is my uh, my condo has a lot of space, but it has a very little amount of storage space, and especially a very little amount of storage space in the kitchen. And we're finding we're reaching the maximum threshold of uh, a kitchen, uh, you know, utensil, you know, in uh, tool space. At my uh, at my parents' old house, they had this ottoman in the living room that folded, that opened up, and it had like it was like a storage thing inside there. And we had a, a lot of the my parents' uh, Blu-ray and DVD collection inside there. So maybe you could look into something like that. You know, a piece of furniture that also doubles as a, a storage, uh, a piece of storage, I guess. I knew it was going to come to you and you were going to have the wise suggestion out of this group. <laughs> so it, it's essentially the idea is to find a different place to store these uh, discs. 
Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, let's anyway, go. the prestige is good, right, guys? The prestige. Yes. <laughs> yes, I love I love the prestige. If you if anybody listening to this has not seen the prestige, uh, go out watch it. Uh, watch it again on Hulu. Like, yeah, on Hulu. Uh, yes, see, that's why I said it. <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on to what we've been eating. Uh, this uh, when Brad was here, I went with him to that I am Eat Bit Gallery, and we we also uh, ate at Booze Cheesesteaks, which I've had before in this place called Cineholic. But I will let Brad talk about it because he's our you know resident food expert. Brad, tell us about it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, whenever I'm in LA and hanging out, I always like to try. Uh, new places I've never been before. Whenever we're working from your place, we uh, if we get food from Postmates or whatever, we uh, usually try and find something really good. Like one time we had this amazing, we got uh, stuff from this poutine place to deliver. They had tons of different kinds of poutine, and we got this like bacon cheeseburger poutine that was freaking amazing. Um, so this time we decided before we went to the gallery, we went to this place called Booze Cheesesteaks, which. Uh, apparently Peter's girlfriend really liked and Peter had been there before. So he had suggested it as a good place to stop. And it was so delicious, like, uh, easily one of the best cheesesteaks that, that I've ever had. Um, it's, I, I get mine with, with whiz Chris as a Philadelphia person. I'm not sure how you feel about that. Um, (laughs) but it was, (sighs) it was fantastic. Uh, I also came with, um, they had these special kind of fries they called pizza fries, where they put mozzarella cheese and chopped up bits of pepperoni on them that were freaking amazing. Um, so, yeah, it was just, just really good cheesesteak, good fries, and I, I was glad to yeah. stop there. Chris, do you need to yell at me? <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Wiz oh. is fine. It's all right. I'll, <laughs> oh. I'll allow it. No, I, I I thought I saw something else coming, but uh, it's good we didn't get into that. Uh, my friend Dan, who is from oh, Philly, no, 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 says no, no, this no, no, is the no, best. No, no, no. I wasn't uh, done yet. But yeah, we're going to get into this because Peter ordered his cheesesteak without any cheese. Peter. <laughs> he got meat and onions on bread. I know I, it was meat, onions, and uh, mushrooms, Brad. Oh, uh, oh, mushrooms. Okay. Yeah. But so we got a cheesesteak sans the cheese. Listen, I, I don't love melted cheese on top of everything I, I eat. But this combined with the the, the bagel gate situation, <laughs> I just don't know what to do with you. <laughs> okay, guys, tell me how I'm wrong. <laughs> New slash from poll: Does Peter have bad taste? Well, well, okay, no, I, I know for a fact that like people will. This is one that everybody's going to agree that I'm wrong. I, I totally get that. The bagel thing seems t- totally reasonable to me to eat a bagel without the spread if needed need be. But. I mean, Peter, I prefer hamburgers to cheeseburgers, so I kind of see where you're coming from. Coming from there, yeah. See, see I, I also prefer hamburgers to cheeseburgers. But, but it's in the name, it's in the it, name but, of the food exactly. product. Yeah, but uh, I mean, for the case of a, a Philly cheesesteak or any sort of cheesesteak sandwich, I mean, you got to put cheese on there, Peter. I don't know. I can't. I can't go all the way down this dark tunnel with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just pretend you're lactose intolerant, Peter. I mean, that's what I do. <laughs> There's actually places in LA that will not modify like in in order. Like there's this place that uh, is great for hamburgers, um, and they will not modify like you take any modifications whatsoever. But every time I go there, I'm like I'm lactose intolerant, and they they will take the cheese off the, the hamburger for me. 
Anyways, I, I have to lie to not get the cheese melted on my uh, on my sandwiches, and I'm I'm sure I'm gonna hear from a lot of people over this. I, guys, I know I'm the nut so on this one. Okay, the in, in the bagel gate, I think I I'm part of the norm, but <laughs> this one I totally get it. I, you don't have to tweet at me. You don't have to email me. I, I get it. Okay, it's fine. Oh, you're getting tweets, Peter. You're getting, <laughs> oh, you're tweets. getting tweets. Uh, okay, Brad, talk about Cineholic. Yeah, so uh, after we went to the gallery thing, we decided to get a little bit of dessert. We found out there was this place literally across the street called Cineholic where you order a, a cinnamon roll with frosting on it, but they have all these different options for like customizing what you want on your cinnamon roll where you can get like cookie dough on top of it or like oreo crumbles or pieces of candy bar or um like like they have different like already established like customized flavors like they have one with uh like a marshmallow flavored frosting with graham cracker crumbles uh and they have all different kinds of frosting too like cream cheese is usually the 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 normal cinnamon bun uh frosting but they have a bunch of flavored ones like uh like strawberry and uh apple and all that kind of stuff and so it was uh so good like they they get, get them out to you and they're they're warm and the toppings are delicious and it was it's like you know cinnabon on steroids basically it was insane it was like I, like i don't know i i felt so gross after eating and not because it was gross it was just like do i really need um you know cookie dough on top of my uh cinnamon roll <laughs> uh, i mean i do but uh I don't need the cheese, but I need the the, the cookie dough. <laughs> okay, um, uh, let's move on to Jacob. Jacob, uh, you fell off the wagon. Uh, yes, for years I've avoided eating Doritos because they're the worst chip, and I'm aware of this. I'm aware that Doritos are the worst chip, and the Cooler Ranch is the worst bad chip of them all. And yet, after years of avoiding Doritos and years of staying strong and not eating those foul things. I bought a bag of Cooler Ranch Doritos, and I ate them. And I feel like a war criminal. I should be on trial. This is the worst thing I've ever done. Why are Doritos the worst chip? They're sharp and pointy, <laughs> and not and the flavors aren't that good. And they get stale really quickly. And the whole extreme advertising makes me feel like I'm a 12-year-old. Like, sitting there on the playground with a bad sandwich. Like, trying to eke out some sort of semblance of my life. Have you ever had the the taco flavored Doritos? Because I think those are the best ones. Oh, Brad, no. <laughs> Let's just move on before I feel too much more about this. Uh, you know, a little bit of trivia here. Do you know that the idea for Doritos, as urban legend has it, um, actually originated at Disneyland? That um, there was um someone from Frito-Lay company was at Disneyland and there's this Mexican restaurant, uh, over, uh, in, uh, near Adventureland. Uh, and basically they were, they had tortilla chips. They like, uh, put some, you know, uh, cheese, uh, what do you call that? Like powder or something yeah, <laughs> on. Right. And, uh, they tried it and, uh, he, he brought that back to Frito-Lay's and they created the Doritos. All right, so. so forget forget song of the south. That's Walt's greatest shame. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, Brad, you also uh, found chocolate peanut butter pie Oreos. Are they yeah, worth it? Now that I'm back in the homestead, I'm back on on the search for all the unique flavor things. 
uh, and chocolate peanut butter pie Oreos finally made their way to Walmart. They are indeed worth it. Um, one of my favorite Oreos is the s'mores one because it, it has, it's a graham cookie with the chocolate marshmallow cream in the middle. And this is a similar thing where they created a graham cookie when they put the chocolate and peanut butter in the middle. So they've done a chocolate peanut butter uh, Oreo before. It's it, bas- it was basically a Reese's um, peanut butter cup Oreo. That, uh, that's how they branded it. Uh, and this one has the the filling is basically the same as that, but I think that it's enhanced and made better by the graham cookie. It um it doesn't taste exactly you know like a chocolate peanut butter pie. It's not as creamy, but I like the blend of the graham with the the chocolate and peanut butter cream. Well, very cool. Uh, let's get to our last and final thing and what we've been playing. Brad, you have you're obsessed with like Pokemon Go and Jurassic World Alive. They've recently updated the app. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, Pokemon Go had a big update recently that added friends and all that jazz. And even though Jurassic World has only been around for for a little bit now, I think it's been about a month and a half or two months, uh, they recently did a big update because they've had some problems with some bots that were like in uh, the the battle area and like people have been using uh, spoofing, which is where like they fake their location to like uh, always track down like the rarer dinosaurs and that kind of thing. Uh, and so there's there are a lot of cheaters that are at the top of the leaderboards and, uh, you know, basically had super powerful uh, creatures in, you know, their uh, possession and using them in the battles. But now I guess they figured out a way to um, do away with that. They're also introducing new things that are basically like the Pokemon raid battles. But but in this game, they're going to have these little tournaments that players can play in uh, and there'll be like special rewards you get within the game itself. Uh, they changed the map a little bit. So it's a little bit more sophisticated. They um migrated like which dinosaurs pop up and when they've created a little bit more of an abundance for the rare and epic dinosaurs so that you people can get a hold of them a little bit easier uh it's it's all welcome changes and i think it makes the game um definitely better it was when it when it launched so if you haven't played it yet and you've been maybe a little bit interested now i think it's the time to check it out and uh download jurassic world alive you can find links to that and more in our show notes. Uh, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, hey, Peter, remember how at Comic-Con you brought up the fact that I once broke out a very bad insult book on the podcast and insulted everyone, and you said I should bring it back on the podcast? Do you remember the conversation, Peter? I, I, I do. Uh, I mean, the podcast is over, Jacob. Uh, but I, ha- I have the book in my hands right now, and I'm ready to insult every single person <laughs> on this podcast using the expert witticisms of this book. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, for the record, this it. is the gargantuan book of insults, offense, and effrontery. And I currently have it open to the failures chapter. So you're all going to be insulted as the failures as you are. <sighs> who, who wants to go first? Me, Ben. <laughs> okay, Ben. Um, a pickpocket once tried to snatch some money from your pocket, but all he got was practice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, is, is there any jokes about uh, cheese on Philly cheesesteak sandwiches? Uh, no, Peter, but uh, I, we heard you're selling all your furniture for a living, your own. Um, wait, I don't I, I don't. Wait, know. what? Uh, you, you're selling all. You're selling furniture for a living. Your own. Oh, now yeah. I get it. Yeah. Because oh. you're desperate, I guess. Oh, so uh. bad. That's a really bad one. Oh, speak, <laughs> speaking of bad, Ben, uh, I hear that you have an itch to succeed, but you get loused up thinking about scratching it. <laughs>
Okay. All right. <laughs> Wait, you you haven't had HT have one yet. Oh, H HT and Chris, I'm saving you for last. Uh, HT, um, you've been waiting so long for your ship to come in. Your pier has collapsed. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get one yet. Oh, Brad. Oh, yeah. Because Brad and Chris both need one. Um. Well, Brad, here at, at twenty, you knew nothing. At forty, you've done nothing. At sixty, you'll have nothing. Wait, he's oh, not. Man. Well. No, yeah. but I have. I can look forward to that though. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, Chris. Um, anytime you find him with his ear to the ground, it's just because he's looking for a contact lens. <laughs> that's not that's even like not, an insult. Not... Show. <laughs> what? I, I, I'm not sure this is a good idea. <laughs> Jacob, how did this book get published? I have so many questions. The same as how um, Bigfoot erotica got published on Amazon. <laughs> uh...